Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, I'm Jamie, your host of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey, and I'm thrilled that you're here today. We have another show that we're bringing to you that is exclusive to the Jamie Ivey Show, which released on YouTube back in February. Today, I'm bringing you the conversation that I had with Scott Erickson, also known as Scott the Painter. He's an author, an artist, a performance speaker. He creates art and moments that speak to our deepest experiences. Today, he shares about becoming an artist and the role of visual arts within the church. He talks about the pain of a dream dying and life not looking like you thought it would, which I know that a lot of us can relate to that. Say Yes, his book that we speak about in here, it's available for pre-order now. You guys, before we get to Scott's conversation, which don't forget, you can watch all of the shows that were releasing in December. We're a part of the Jamie Ivey Show, which is exclusive over on YouTube. Go to jamieivy.youtube to find all of these shows. You guys know that all throughout the month of December, we are talking about Compassion International. We released a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Jonathan Almonte, who is a compassion representative in the Dominican. Republic. And we are on a mission. We are on a mission to reduce the number of children who have been waiting 12 months more or longer in the DR by sponsoring them. This community of happy hour listeners is amazing. And you guys showed up last year and we sponsored almost 250 kids. This year, our goal is 400 kids. The number seems so high. It seems so impossible. But I really believe that you guys are going to step up to this challenge and help the communities in the DR not only alleviate poverty within their family, but also allow them to get education and medical care and Eventually, our hope is that they know Jesus. And so if you haven't listened to Jonathan's episode, go back and listen to that. Go to jamieivy.com slash HH446. And that is our compassion conversation. Don't forget, if you sponsor a child through our unique link, which is compassion.com slash Ivy, I-V-E-Y, you can sponsor a child there. We're going to send you a thank you gift. We don't think you have to have a gift to do this, but we would love to thank you for your support. We're going to send you a wallet from Abel which you guys know we love Abel. We have Barrett Ward, the founder of Abel. We had him on the show back in November, the day before Thanksgiving, he was on the show. We're going to send you an Abel wallet as a thank you. And then my favorite part of this whole thing is we're going to send every kid that we sponsor through our collective community here of the Happy Hour listeners a book. We're going to send them a copy of my newest kids book, God Made You to Be You. So go to compassion.com slash Ivy. Guys, we are still in the midst of our Instagram giveaway. So if you are not following me on Instagram, you should be. It's at Jamie Ivy. And listen, someone is actually winning. You know, you think sometimes, is anyone actually winning these things? Yes, people are winning these gifts that we featured in the holiday gift guide. We're giving things away. We really just want to bless you guys with giveaways. But more than that, we love to spread the word about companies doing great things. And so our hope with the holiday gift guide is to point you into the direction of people and places who are creating and doing great things in the world and let us be supporters of them by purchasing from them. So make sure you're following me at Jamie Ivy. All right, friends, here's my conversation with Scott the Painter. Welcome to the Jamie Ivey Show. I'm your host, Jamie, and today I'm sitting down with Scott Erickson. He's an artist who says his art is creating a visual vocabulary for our spiritual journey. Scott. 
Scott, welcome to the show today. I'm glad to be here. You know, this is our first time meeting mm -hmm. in real life. In real life. I think we meet people on the internet all the time. Yep. But I need you to know, I have two of your paintings in my house framed on my wall. It's amazing. I'm humbled and honored because of that. Does, how it's does great. that make you feel? It's everything I hope for. Like, I had a conversation with myself as I do as I an like artist. That. When I think you're going through your journey of an artist, you're, you have to figure out what your goals are. And, you know, there's a lot of myths or things like you're supposed to do gallery shows or things like that. I had a conversation with myself years ago where I was like, what gives you more joy? Having like one person own one painting or having a hundred people have like a print of that painting mm -hmm. or something like that. And so, and I said, I would love to equip as many people as I can with art in their homes. And so I kind of figured out how to do that. And like I go over to people's houses and I see nothing on their walls. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I want to help put stuff on your walls. So that is what I've been trying to do. So it's awesome. I'll see. tell you a funny story. Yeah. We took down, well, not we, my husband yeah. took down a family photo of us, me, my husband, our four kids, uh -huh. and replaced it with, your, <laughs> with one of your paintings. And so one of my kids is on a mission to get our family photo back on the wall. But okay. Aaron has replaced it okay. with yours and he's here for it. So, okay. okay, you said when you're having this conversation with yeah. yourself, which I love, yeah. trying to figure out what is it that you want. I think a lot of us don't do that. But I'm curious because I know you as Scott the Painter. Yep. Okay, artist. Mm -hmm. Where did you start out this way? Did you start out your career with painting? Well, I was trained as a high school art teacher. So that was my degree. So I taught high school for a couple years. And I did then, not know this. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 27, I had this moment. And at the time I was still, I was painting in an attic. I had a studio in this attic of a church. And I had this practice that I was doing, which I would say what being an artist is, is you've committed to a practice with a material or a medium. And so I had this practice, but I was teaching and I had this moment in one of my prep periods, I was writing on the board and I stopped and I was like, I'm being invited to something else. I'm not quite sure what that is, but I can sense there's something else I'm being invited to. And then it was a long, long story, but I went to New York to visit some friends, met a bunch of artists. And on the way back, I was like, if I don't try to be an artist, whatever that means. I don't even know quite what that means, but if I don't try to be an artist, I'll always regret it. And at the time I was single, I think I was starting to date my wife, but you know, I didn't have any real commitments besides yeah. just trying to be myself in the world. Yeah. And so I stopped teaching and I kept my job waiting tables and you know, the ultimate artist job. And I ended up getting married and my wife has been my sugar mama for a lot of our relationships. <laughs> so that's nice, I like but her. I committed to that. And that was around 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah. You know, you said something when you said you had this moment of if I don't do there's something else I'm being invited to yeah and for you it was to this career to do art to not be the high school teacher yeah. to step out and try something else yeah it's not that for me you know <laughs> but okay. I think that happens to all of us all the time but we're scared to do that thing yeah why did you do it and some people don't I often get asked like how did you become an artist and it wasn't just one moment it was like a series of moments of identifying this thing in me but on that flight I actually had a very prayerful moment where I, I sensed the spirit ask me, tell me what you want to do and I'll bless it. Mm. I had four things. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I said, I want to be a full-time artist. I want to work at a church as an artist. I want to fight evil, meaning I want to <laughs> be a 
a part of things that are important. Yeah. And I want to go on tour with a band and make paintings during shows. Very specific. And within two and what years... what year was this? This was 2003. Okay. 2003. Uh-huh. Within two years, all of that happened. Did you have any, like, asterisks of what bands you wanted to travel with? Or was it just, no. I'm going to leave it open? No. A friend of mine in Seattle, his name's Sean McDonald. He kind of had... He still does music, but he had his kind of moment in the early 2000s. Yeah. And he was going on a tour. And he said, hey, I want to do this traveling art show. I want somebody to be painting on mm -hmm. stage. Do you want to come and do that? So I used to do a lot of live painting. Yeah. I still do that. Yeah. And then I started getting connected with World Vision and doing advocacy work for AIDS orphans yeah. and fundraising by making paintings at events and auctions and stuff like that. And I eventually got invited by this church to come and they gave me a space in their church and I started like working at the church. I started painting every service. Which I think that is the one when you listed the four yeah. that I was like, that was going out on a limb to me because yeah. that's not a common thing in no. churches. Like, no, hey, let's not. hire an artist. No. And usually what that means is like, let's hire an artist. It's like, who's going to do our graphic design? Right. Who's going to do our, you know, screen art uh -huh. and things like that. And I, after high school, I spent a year in Europe. I had a longtime friend. She's my parents' age. She was always a friend to me and her name's Mary. And she, my senior year of high school, she was like, what are you doing after high school? And I was like, I don't know, community college, travel. She's like, do you want to come to France and be my assistant with another girl, Cindy, and just come and live for a year. And I did and did a lot of admin work and yeah. <laughs> traveled around with her. But we live three blocks from a cathedral. And I went to that cathedral every day, whether for five minutes or an hour. And it's really now in retrospect that that was so forming to me mm. because I grew up in Protestantism, which yeah. is really void of any visual vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And then to be in a building that the whole thing is designed to communicate the story of God without using words. Yeah. I had felt like a stranger my whole life so far in religion. And then I was like, oh, there's a place for me. Wow. And when I came back to the States, there was always this question, which was, well, what is the role of the artist, the visual artist yeah. in the church? Because yeah. I don't think we should make cathedrals anymore because that would cost like a billion dollars. Right. <laughs> but Aren't like, they still building one in Spain? Like yeah, they're still working still on building it, yes. the Gaudi one. Yes. And then, because uh, I was like, the artist was involved in translating the story of God to a illiterate culture. Yeah. But now I think the question is, well, how do you translate the story of God to a spiritually illiterate culture? Mm -hmm. And that's where I've kind of found my that's voice. That's where you, I feel like your mm -hmm. voice is right now, yeah. for sure. And you took that journey of feeling that for the first time. Yeah. After you graduated high school and spent mm -hmm. a year in France. I mean, that in, that seed was in yeah. me for a long time before I even could give language to what was happening. Yeah. And in fact, how I got to Texas, how I'm in Texas, I worked at a church in Houston called Ecclesia, and I was the artist in residence for three years. And that was kind of the final culmination of that idea of what would an artist do. And Chris C. gave me a really awesome opportunity. He just like, listen to the Holy Spirit and do what you think you need to do. And I, I had really specific goals because I had this question. I was like, what would an artist do if you had a chance to? What would you do? And I, I was like, I don't want an office. I want a studio. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be an arts pastor because frankly, they just put on events and have coffee with people. Right. I was like, I want to make work. And because I could live paint and felt comfortable mm -hmm. painting and have this translation talent, I made a painting every Every service, five services a weekend for three years. So I made hundreds a of paintings. A new painting every single yeah, service. Yeah, every single service. And all of those images went out into the city, into the community. Wow. They're still in my friends' homes mm -hmm. or people, strangers I don't even know, yeah. but they would, they got them. And then, and really during that time, I, that's where I developed a visual vocabulary, like learning how to translate. Because I was basically translating a sermon every weekend. And how do you translate forgiveness? Mm -hmm. You know, people are like, a oh, cross. Okay, what else besides yeah, yeah. a cross? How do you translate hope? 
rope, a cross. Yeah. What else okay, besides come on. A an anchor? An anchor. I'll give you an anchor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. An anchor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know what? And it turns out there is a history of symbology that is in the Christian tradition and in any kind of religious tradition. But also, I wanted to recontextualize that stuff after a pop culture revolution, mm-hmm. after a tattoo art, yeah. after graffiti art. Like, what would it look like now? You know, what would our symbol set be yeah. now? And yeah. that's really a lot of how what I do now is where that's come from. Well, yeah. I love it. I told you we have our two pieces in our house and we yeah. love it so much. And I, one of the reasons I love it is because you've given space and a voice and maybe this availability for people who might not have felt like they had a place in the church. Yeah. Because for a long time, the American church has not been too, not welcoming, but a place for artists yeah. hasn't always felt at home yeah. in the church. And you have kind of yeah. broken that mold a little bit. And I think that a lot of people are saying there is a place for this and it can't, what yeah. you do, the art you create, yeah. it represents the gospel. Yeah. I think there's some remnants of the Reformation, which was pushing it back against this kind of overly bloated Catholic system. Right. There's some really good things in there, but when we started getting into indulgences and stuff, it was getting pretty not great. And that's what Martin Luther was pushing against. But they kind of swung the whole other way, which was like, we don't need anything exactly. else except the for this. The pendulum went all the way. Yeah. And what we threw out was that actually imagery can be very spiritually yeah, forming so. to yeah. us. And I think I've seen over the last couple decades, this desire, this longing. What I would say is like what the image helps do is it gives an anchor point or a touch point to an experience you have. Yeah. It becomes like a, an artifact. The way that I would describe my elevator pitch of my art is I'm giving a visual vocabulary for people's spiritual journeys. Like as we're evolving and forming throughout our lives and we have these deconstruction, reconstruction, mm-hmm. mystical moments, prayerful moments, surprises, you know, experiences. And like, what would I have to like symbolize that? Mm-hmm. What would my Ebenezer be? Yeah. You know, what would my, yeah. And so I think that's what I found my art does for people mm-hmm. is it goes, I found my story in your art, which, you know, that makes good art. Yeah. It's like, I found my story in your art and I have that up to remind me of yep. that, which instills faith and grows faith in people. It. And that's overwhelming. I love it. Well, speaking of story, thank you for telling us how you got where you are now. We're yeah. going to come back after the break. And we're going to talk about Say Yes, um, yeah. your new project you're working on now. So come right back with us. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. 
I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Okay, we're back. Scott Erickson is here with us still. Okay, I've got to ask you about this. I've Mm -hmm. heard about your show, Mm -hmm. Say Yes, which love the title, first of all, and it is a liturgy of not giving up on yourself. And even from our past conversation, I can see that, I think that you've, I don't know your journey of giving up on yourself, but it seems to me that you've been fighting to not give up on yourself because of where you are. How did this Say Yes journey start for you? The moment, I guess, the conversation started happened when I was about to turn 40. Okay. And I put my kids to bed one night and I walked out of their bedroom and I noticed I was crying, not because we had had a magical bedtime. This was something else. And I tried to stop like we usually do. And I couldn't. And I ended up in our only bathroom in the house, this little tiny bathroom off the kitchen. And I wept on my toilet for 40 minutes Mm. and my wife found me she's like what's going on and I was like I don't really know I don't know what's happening to me and with some time from that moment I realized what was happening is that a dream was dying in me Mm. which happens in middle of your life which is you come to a point where how you thought your life was going to turn out or how you thought you would turn out the reality doesn't meet up with the expectation and I really started to understand who I wanted to be in the world Mm. that was my grief was that I started to figure out like what kind of person I wanted to be. And I wish I knew at 18 because I wish I had those like 20 years back to do it all over again, but I didn't. And what that was is I started to understand that I was much more of a performing artist than I was just a studio artist. Meaning like I didn't want to spend eight hours a day just in a studio working by myself. I'm much more extroverted. Uh I realized that all my favorite things I ever did had like a live audience. And I was like, I think I'm actually a performer. And then immediately this like inner voice, I call it the voice of giving up was like, nobody cares about an almost 40-year-old man trying to become a performing artist. And I was like, that's a legit... I have that same voice. That's a legit argument. That that voice must come to all of us. Yeah, yeah. especially anything you're doing that you're like, I deeply want to do it. And it's like, who do you think you are? Right. And so 
thus began a conversation. I was like, well, how do I move past this argument? What is my counter argument? Because that's a strong argument. And I started identifying there was like three main arguments that kept coming up with this voice, which was nothing's really going to change. You just you're kind of where you're at and there's no really change. This is what I say in this show is you suck and you're ugly, which means <laughs> like <laughs> which means like it's a, a imposter syndrome. Like, yeah, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. And actually, there's something wrong with you that you can't change that's always going to prevent you from getting there. Mm. And then the last one is like giving up is better than trying or dying is better than living is how I would say it. So I over a year and a half, I actually did a lot of reading and talking and I started developing my own practices to like as I started pursuing becoming a performance artist, I started developing my own arguments to those and they worked. And then as an artist, you're always paying attention to the muse. And I just sensed the muse say, it's time to start talking about this. And so my first time was in Nashville on a live podcast with an audience. And I just like, I had notes. I just like Uh talked through notes and people stayed afterwards and they're like, that was so helpful for me. So then I started developing it. I did a few more times and then I just done it at an arts conference in Idaho and artists really loved it. And then that was the day we found out that Anthony Bourdain killed himself. Mm. And look, I don't want to be a chef. I'm not trying to be a chef, but Anthony Bourdain represented, I think what a lot of us who are makers hope to have in our life, which is we're unabashedly ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're really good at something. And because we're good at something in ourselves, that leads us to success and fame and travel and all those those things. And what his suicide confronted in me was like, he didn't even want to be himself with all of that. What makes you think that getting all of that will fill the lack you feel now? Mm -hmm. And in this parking lot in Boise, Idaho, I was like, okay, I have some stuff about this. I want to make something that can at least add to the conversation about why we shouldn't give up on ourselves. What is the journey we're on? Like, in some ways, Say Yes is a church service about suicide because Mm -hmm. I've never been to one. And I was like, if I was going to make a church service about suicide, it needed to be honest. It needed to involve humor. It needed to have some weirdness and art and singing and storytelling because to talk about such a, and I would say there's a spectrum of suicide. Like there is the all the way, like I don't want to be here anymore, but there is the like little ways you can kill your life while you're still alive. Mm. Like I have a relative who's watched five hours of TV every night for 30 years and now he's in his late 70s and he's like, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done this. Like he committed suicide on his dreams Mm. because he was just like, I can't do it. I could never get there. Because he was listening Um, to that voice. Yeah. So I was like, how do you talk about this stuff? Like I'm not a therapist but I go right. to therapy, uh-huh. you know, and I have yeah. a lot of psychologists come to my shows and like, this is great. This is really good group therapy, but I don't talk like a clinician. I talk like an artist. I right. talk like a performer uh-huh. and I've seen that it, the fruit that it's been really helpful. So I was just like, I don't have like an end goal in mind. I think I just go, let's see how far this can yeah. go. Yeah. And so currently I'm translating into a book and then, you know, we're on pause because of COVID. So mm-hmm. we're not really doing performances. So now I'm reframing some things. I might change some things up because I got pretty set after a yeah. year and a Yeah, but we'll see. So I think it's an important conversation because I think there are faith communities that are engaging in mental health, which is good. I think suicide is particularly frightening to religion. Yeah, because a lot of religion works based on a product narrative. 
which is if you get God, it'll fill this lack. Commercials are like, you have this problem. Your dishes aren't getting clean. But if you get this thing and put it in your dishwasher, yeah. it'll clean it. And uh-huh. kind of the same way as like you have this hole in your heart and you keep trying to put all these other things. But what you need is God. And when you put it in, you'll all get clean. That's not really how our lives work. Because then someone still feels those same feelings. Yes, exactly. Because when the product doesn't work, yeah. then you get rid of it. Mm. And what happens when your dreams die? Do you go, well, God, let my dreams die. God, let me get to this spot where my I followed God my whole life. How am I here? Mm. And my premise to the show is, well, maybe the giver of your existence is the one that led you to this place. Maybe the dream needed to die because there's a deeper desire in you. And there's actually this long tradition in the Christian tradition, St. Ignatius talks about it a lot, whereas there's this path of desire. And he says, actually, the way that God talks about our calling, our vocation, our identity in our lives is through our desires. Now, desire is a sexy word and it can lead to destruction, but it also leads to flourishing. So that takes discernment. Mm. And there is this process of discerning that. But I found that a lot of people who've been a part of a religious tradition, there have been some bad side effects, which has been people are afraid of their desires. They were told that they they were were bad, bad, your heart's bad. And so they've deferred their desire Mm. and deferred desire leads only to bitterness. Mm. It leads you to become a bitter, judgmental, mm-hmm. snarky person who's not fun at cocktail parties. <laughs> Who doesn't, you don't want to hang around them. <laughs> you don't want to hang out so with So even people. as you yeah. found yourself crying on your bathroom floor for yeah. 40 minutes, realizing I didn't know that it was going to, you know, you talked about the last 20 years didn't look like your life looks now, but you said sometimes those have to die mm-hmm. for a good thing. Yeah. That's what's hard to think because you think like, oh, this dream is dying. There must be something wrong with me, yeah. but really it could lead to something but deeper the, conversation. Yeah. More of your... The dream that needed to die was, well, if I was 18 and I knew this, then I would be where I wanted to be now. You gotta let that go. And then the real question was like, well, why can't you start now? Now. And honestly, the answer was like, because it's embarrassing as a 40-year-old man to try to do something new. Like, I think there's this cultural expectation that by now, you should have your stuff together. Like, people my age make full-length feature films, movies, you know? They play in orchestras. Uh They put, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda is younger (laughs) than me, you know? And, like, I'm gonna start now. Like, Mm -hmm. I'd like to do performance art. It's ridiculous. So I think there's this kind of like, it's going to be embarrassing to start from the beginning, which is where you have, where everybody No matter if you're 40 or 18. Yes. But there's a lot of assumptions in that argument that are false. One of them is that nobody's interested in seeing somebody try. In fact, everybody's interested. One of my favorite designers, Steven Sagmeister, he says, anybody trying to do something honest is interesting. And then like everything has been said before, but the way that truth comes through your incarnation Mm -hmm. has never been seen before, you know? And that's what I found to be true. I had to trust that invitation to do that. I love that. And I'm glad that you did. And I think this is so encouraging. I'm encouraged right here listening about things that I have dreams that I want to start, but thinking, who does that at 42? You're doing it. We're doing it. (laughs) We're living in your dream. We're in the Jamie Ivey show I'm in the Jamie Ivey dream right Right now. now. (laughs) We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Scott Erickson is still here with us. And Scott, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. You talked last time about how this spectrum of people at your shows who maybe have a dream that's dying. And I have seen you talk about how people who were contemplating actual suicide Mm -hmm. and your show gave them hope and they walked through that. I'm so intrigued because I have never struggled mental illness. I have people very dear to me that have. And so I have a small understanding of it from loving them. But your show seems to hit a wide variety 
of people struggling. Yeah. How is that even possible that the same people who have a dream that they feel yeah. is lost and then people who feel like all hope is lost? Yeah, it's been bizarre because sometimes when everybody loves something, you're like, is it good? Right. Because <laughs> I have high school students who will come and then I'll have retirees come uh-huh. and everybody in between is like that hit me where I'm at, which was like quizzical at the time. I was like, okay, but it seems that probably during different stages of our lives, we have a very similar conversation. It might take different form, might be different scenarios, but it's a a similar conversation, which is I'm being invited to show up as myself. I'm being invited to say yes to this miraculous life I've been given, whether I want to or not. Like that's the question. I think the real question as like a person who does deal with mental health stuff, the way that I would describe the conversation of suicide is like, yes, God, I know life is a miracle, but I don't want this miracle today. Mm. And that's a real tricky conversation. I would say that like, it can be really hard to just discuss suicide, but I would say that what's attractive about suicide is that suicide is a plan. Suicide is like, I'm going to make a future plan Mm -hmm. to do something. I'm gonna organize myself. I'm going to escape my situation, which all of those things can happen without having to take your own life. You're almost having them do a different organization plan. What you're saying is you're like, this isn't working any Mm. longer and I wanna get out of it. And there's a part of us, it could be evil. It could just be neurology. I don't know. Ask somebody who's a professional. (laughs) Like there's a part of us that's just like the easiest way out would be to escape completely. Right. And that is true, except there's massive damage on the other side of that that you haven't considered. But I would say what we can do is take this momentum of wanting to change, though, and apply it to the things we really hope for Mm -hmm. in our lives. Like I would say that the dream is dying. But why that's so painful is because there's this deep desire still there. Mm. If the dream wasn't rooted to that desire, then it wouldn't matter it if wouldn't it didn't. Care. But what you're touching on is that you have this deep desire to live. You have this deep desire to life and thinking of not being able to do that is very painful. Yeah. So I want to lead people in that honest conversation. That's what I try to do and share my own story of like, mm-hmm. here's how I did it. But I take a lot of different things that are going on and then lead people into a spiritual practice from that. I actually think that mental health practices and spiritual practices are kind of the same thing. Yeah. So each argument, I give a counter argument and then I give a practice of mm-hmm. something to say or something to do. And then that helps people kind of work through those hurdles yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I started the show today with you asking you how it made you feel that I have your art in my house, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is just so very cool. It's kind of like on a different level. But when someone tells me they listen to my show, I'm like, oh, thank you. That yeah. means a lot. I don't know if you planned on what you created with your shows and now this project that you're working on called Say Yes. I don't know if you ever planned at the beginning for it to help so many people in their journeys with mental health. Mm. How does that make you feel? When someone says to you, I came to one of your events, I read one of your books on liturgy, and it changed a part of my life that I didn't know if I could change. What does that do to you as a person? I think there's this universal gratitude. Like I make a lot of things in a room by myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I see a book in somebody's hand or art on their walls or they message me, I just say I'm humbled and honored. I'm trying to seek as honestly as I can the transformation I'm desiring. And then I will go through that transformation first. And then my art, my writing, my performance comes from that. So it's really like what I understand about myself is that I'm asked to go on a transformational journey. And first then, almost. First. Yeah. And then when I've let it do that, then I can go, 
hey, I'll come back. Yeah. I'll become the guide then. I'll yeah. come back and come. I'll take you where I was willing to go. And I'm okay with that yeah. invitation. I think a lot of my job is just listening. Mm -hmm. Like today I dropped my kids off from school and by the time they <laughs> went to school and they come back, it's only a certain amount of time. But I got home and I was like, bye. And my wife's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going on a prayer walk because I'm like, I need to go walk for a half hour yeah. because that's my job. Yeah. It's my vocation to be a listener, mm. to go, what do I need to hear or do? Okay. And then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. You create great art and you said earlier how it can point us to on the spiritual journey through art, which is can be a new concept for some people not mm -hmm. understanding. I have noticed though, life's been hard for a lot of people in the last year, two years, four years. It's been hard. I feel like people are craving beauty. Mm. I feel like people are craving art. Do you find that to be true as well right now? Yeah. Why yeah. do you think that is? I don't have a quick answer for this. I, I'll tell you <laughs> like why I think legit, it is. Like, it, like I would have to go, why do we crave beauty? Yeah, tell me, tell me what your answer is. I mean, is. I feel like it's something that it can kind of transcend the pain that you might be experiencing, the difficult. I mean, if we just look at 2020, you know, if we look back in the last yeah. year, it's yeah. been a difficult year for so many people. People lost their lives. People lost their jobs. People became homeless. And then there is this medium that you create and so many other beautiful artists, not even just with art, but with other kinds of art, that it almost unifies people deeper than the struggles that we have individually. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. But I don't paint things either. <laughs> I just make TV shows, you know? I mean, I think beauty opens up the doorway to the rapturous experience of being alive. Mm. I think when we are negotiating these win or loss, this cost or gain, and we go, oh, we lost so much in 2020. We gained so much in 2019. Or, you know, I whatever. don't know, whatever. But beauty sidesteps all of that and just goes, being alive is amazing mm -hmm. right now. I think a lot about wonder. Like, actually, wonder is one of the antidotes to, I would say, giving up. Mm -hmm. Because wonder, it's the space that moves out of the narratives and it just lets you experience the wonder of being alive, the rapturous experience of being alive. And those are the money moments of life. You think back to your wondrous moments, it wasn't about like how you got there. Or this. It's just about I was there and I saw it and like I saw those stars. Like just, I saw an old woman make a joke to a newlywed couple taking <laughs> wedding photos. That floored me for a week because it was such a great human yeah. moment. And I had a wondrous moment at Disneyland with the character sadness because the line was five rows deep and I watched person after person deal with sadness mm. and take a picture with sadness. Yeah. And I was crying in line. I was like, what's happening right now? I'm crying in the happiest place on earth. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's those moments are the gold of life. Mm. And I think beauty reminds us of those. Yeah. It's why they say you have to stop and smell the roses. I know that's a cheesy saying, but it's because if we don't It's why stop, it's been around forever. Yes, yeah. if we don't stop in those moments, they literally can just pass us by yeah. and yeah. we will not even know what we missed. Yeah. Um, and so, Scott, thank you so much. Thank you it's for thanks for what you do in the world and the church and your art. And yeah. the Ivies are a fan, so thank you so much. Guys, thank you for joining us today for another episode of The Jamie Ivy Show. All right, friends, don't forget, if you want to watch our conversation, go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube, and you can find it over there. These conversations that we are airing for the month of December, all were exclusive to the Jamie Ivy Show, which you can watch only on YouTube. Guys, don't forget, compassion.com slash Ivy. Pray about it. Go to the link. Check it out. You can't go wrong by helping a child for $38 a month. So compassion.com slash Ivy. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. 